Good evening. We're going to have to sing that song more often. Uh, our Lord said to the disciples, and, and they didn't murmur, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Amen. So number 46, remember that number. Uh, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10. Once again, we'll be reading the chapter in its entirety. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, Without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another, 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days, in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by my reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that come will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. Last week, we looked at the blessed reality of the gospel as set forth in verse 18. The apostle speaking of the efficacy of the redeeming blood of Christ writes, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. That is to say, when something is done, there's nothing more to do. And so it is with the remission of our sins and iniquities, that by the precious blood of Christ, all our sins and iniquities have been put away by the sacrifice of the Son of God. So thoroughly taken away, so utterly and completely put away by the sacrifice of the promised Lamb of God. Our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is both the offerer and the offering, by the sacrifice of himself, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our God, who is plenteous in redemption, says of the sins of his beloved people that he will remember no more their sins and iniquities. That is the gospel of our salvation, beloved. It is the same message that was announced by the angel of the Lord when speaking to Joseph regarding the body that we just read about that was prepared in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The angel of the Lord declared, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in this epistle to the Hebrews, we are reading that same gospel truth, although we may say it more forcefully in these last days. Christ Jesus the Lord has saved his people from their sins. To be saved from your sins, beloved, 
is to have them put away, indeed washed away by the sin-cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that precious blood that gives us boldness to enter into the holiest, to enter before the, the throne of grace, our Heavenly Father. Tonight, the Lord willing, we will give our attention to the last two verses of chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. The apostle writes here, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The whole tenor of this epistle is strikingly different from the other epistles. While the other letters, the other epistles are addressed to particular churches or to individuals, Hebrews appears to have been written to the churches in Judea, which were mostly comprised of the Jews, mostly comprised of Jews that believed the gospel. Well, I've heard people say that they don't know who this epistle was written to and that they are not addressed by name. Certain it is this epistle is particularly written to God's people, whether that be Jew or Gentile. The many sons and daughters our Lord is bringing unto glory. Now, while the other epistles addressed a great variety of subjects that dealt with particular circumstances, particular instances that pertains to the church then and, and today, the epistle of Hebrews pivots mainly upon one subject, the contrasting comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And this is done to show the superiority of the New Covenant blood of Christ and for showing the Hebrews the truth as it is in Jesus, that our great high priest has by himself purged our sins and is sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now our Hebrew brethren had met with many troubles since receiving the gospel of Christ and were called to patiently endure. The apostle writes in verse 32 that they endured, if you look at the latter part of verse 32, that they endured a great fight of afflictions. Additionally, many false teachers crept in among them, and as they always do through subtlety, they endeavor to corrupt the people of God from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so consequently, the apostle earnestly contends for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints by showing them that our Lord Jesus Christ has taken away the first, meaning the old covenant, that he may establish the second, that is the new covenant, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Old Testament sacrifices had come to an end and that he established by the one sacrifice for sin, by the new covenant of Christ's blood, that really and actually put away our sins, he has established the new covenant. What a gospel, beloved. By the blood of Christ, our sins and iniquities are remembered no more. Now, Paul is writing these things to these believing Hebrews because, as it is always the case where the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace is preached, there were opposed by Judaizers, that is, so-called Christians, in name only, 
that insisted that our Hebrew brethren in Christ should continue to practice the rudimentary things or the principal things of the Old Testament. And so through the whole of Hebrews, Paul is writing to exhort his Hebrew brothers and sisters in Christ to leave the rudimentary things of the Old Testament and go on to perfection, which is Christ in you, the believer's only hope for glory. And the same is is today. I mean, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Judaizer. Uh, A Judaizer is someone who preaches and teaches that salvation that the salvation that, that, that Christ accomplished uh, needs something added to it. It's uh, salvation is Christ plus something else. Let me tell you plainly, Christ plus anything is nothing. Well, worse than nothing, only certain judgment, perdition. But Christ plus nothing <laughs> is everything. To believe that he has finished the work that his heavenly father sent him to do is to believe on Christ. Now, the apostle is convinced, he is in fact persuaded, that those he is writing to are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, it would seem that among them, when this epistle was written, there were those who repudiated the faith by going back to the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. What a fearful testimony. And, and Gentiles may be guilty of the same thing. Now, it manifests itself very differently, but the same wicked testimony is seen. When a so-called Christian, be he Jew or Gentile, says in word or deed that the blood of Christ is not enough, that it was not sufficient to take away the sins of his people, Where you see someone trying to add to the finished work of Christ, listen to what Paul says of them in verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. Paul has been hammering this point home again and again, that the Lord Jesus Christ with his once and for all sacrifice has made those that the Father has sanctified perfect forever. For anyone to add to what the Lord finished, for anyone to add to what the Lord accomplished is to trodden underfoot the Son of God and to count the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. That is to say, when someone brings another blood sacrifice, or if someone believes Christ did his part, and now I need to do my part to make salvation work, they are in fact saying that the Lord's blood was ineffectual, that it lacked something. They blasphemously teach that Christ did not accomplish salvation for his people and pester God's people and trouble his beloved people by telling them that they must do this or that to be saved. So this is what the apostle is dealing with. That among our Hebrew brothers and sisters, they were unbelievers who could not rejoice or rest in the gospel contained there in verse 14. Verse 14 declares, 
speaking of the one sacrifice for sins of our Lord Jesus Christ. For by one offering, he hath perfected (laughs) forever them that are sanctified. Perfect in the beloved Son of God. One offering, once and for all. Now, these false teachers were among them that were saying, Christ did all he could, but now you must sacrifice another animal to make what he did effectual. It is the same heresy we see and hear today among Gentile professors, those who say they're Christians and, well, they're only Christian in name only. They really don't believe at all. They say, Christ did all he could to save you. Now you must do this or that to make what he did effectual. Away with that lie. Friend, what must you do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. My friend, when the Lord Jesus Christ cried out on the cross, it is finished. He put away the sins of his people to be remembered no more. Believe on those words. He cried out, it is finished. Once and for all, by the sacrifice of himself, he put away the sins of his people. Once and for all. Our Heavenly Father made him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now just a a few remarks on our portion. Notice there in verse 39, I'll read it again. It says here, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the, of the soul. In verse 39, it is telling us that there is such a thing as some that seemingly walk with Christ and then draw back. The Apostle John records in his gospel that many of the Lord's disciples went back and walked no more with him. And also among the, the Galatians, and also, as we're reading here, among the Hebrews, there were many who drew back. And we may understand this from the many warnings written to them. Now, Paul was persuaded of better things of them, things that accompany salvation. Nevertheless, he gave them many stern warnings and repeatedly cautioned them earlier, uh, repeatedly cautioned them. And a few weeks back, we heard him write uh, in chapter 2, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And so in our portion this evening, Paul warns us what awaits the apostate, those who turn away from and draw back from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is eternal perdition. The apostle writes elsewhere that it had been better for them to not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Our Lord tells us in our portion, if any man draw back, my my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The apostle writing to our Hebrew brethren and you, beloved, who believe on Christ, tells us that all who truly believe on him believe to the saving of the soul. And why is that? Very simply this, beloved. 
To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe on him who is able to save to the uttermost. Indeed, to to the saving of the soul. And thus, God's people receive the expected end of their faith. True believing, true faith, is one of those things which accompany salvation. Though mere head knowledge, conviction, and fear may fade away and die, saving faith shall never die. For he which hath begun a good work in you, beloved, will perform it until the end, until the day of Jesus Christ. Now this saving faith, be sure of this, it is of God. For he is the fountain of every blessing, the cause of all the effects of grace. For indeed, as God's word declares, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Beloved, faith does not have its beginning with man, but with God. It is from our Heavenly Father above. As our Lord declares, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. God's word declares, By grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves It is the gift of God. And the apostle writes elsewhere, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Beloved, by nature we have neither the desire nor do we have the ability to believe to the saving of the soul. The will and the ability must be given. That is to say that if a sinner is to know his desperate need, If he is to have a full persuasion of the sufficiency of Christ to save and therefore enabled to cast himself on him who saves to the uttermost, that faith that puts all its trust in Christ is by the grace and operation of God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. begin reading there in verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Beloved, 
Our Heavenly Father has revealed His Son to us and in us and has graciously made it known that His Son is a sovereign, successful Savior. God has fully persuaded us how urgently and how utterly we need to be saved and that His Son saves to the uttermost. What a blessing to have our Heavenly Father draw us to His Son, constraining and empowering us to unhesitatingly and unreservedly surrender ourselves to his king and trust him with everything. Beloved, our merciful God has done this in mercy and of his own good pleasure in Christ. Our Heavenly Father was not obligated to do this. He had no need to do it. He could have left us to ourselves and still be a just God. What a fearful thought if he had left us to ourselves. Then we would never have believed. Unenlightened, unconvinced, unmoved, untaught, we would have continued in unbelief. Like these apostates that were among the Hebrew churches that sinned willfully, not hearing the gospel in verse 18, that where remission of sins and iniquities is, where remission of sins and iniquities is, there is no more offering to be offered or that should be offered. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like to read that verse again. I pray he gives everyone here gathered this evening grace to hear the gospel contained in that verse. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Rather than believe in the one finished offering of Christ to put away sins, these Judaizers were teaching our Hebrew brethren to return to the rudimental principles of the Old Testament sacrifices. Look there in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, what is the knowledge of the truth? That by one offering, our Lord Jesus Christ has perfected forever them that are sanctified. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Robert Hawker, in his commentary, reflecting, I believe, on this particular verse correctly, writes these words. The weak and fearful of God's people among them were tempted by these unregenerate men, these Judaizers, to suppose that there could be no harm in observing the sacrifices of the law and still look to Christ. To prevent this and to show the danger of such conduct, the apostle solemnly points out that such a willful perversion of the truth in looking to the shadow, now that the substance was come, became virtually a denial of the full and complete sacrifice of Christ for sins. And therefore, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. 
This sin, sinning willfully is not talking about just, just any sin. It's speaking about those who look at the blood of Christ and look to his finished saving work and say, insufficient. Let's do something. Let's add something to it. That is sinning willfully. God's people, the beloved bride of Christ, have been married to one man, Christ Jesus the Lord. Moses is dead. My friend, if you are to have everlasting life, you must do it by looking to Christ alone. Of a truth, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. Beloved, rejoice that you, by the gift of God, believe on the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nature would never teach you such a thing, but the faith that is not of ourselves, but by the gift of God, God gives us the will and the power to obey the gospel command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I should be saved. Beloved, unto you it is given to believe on him, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Oh, the riches of his grace. He visits us, he humbles us, he draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ and makes us partakers of that unspeakable gift, that faith that is not of ourselves, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, salvation is of the Lord. Now, though the believer's faith may grow and wane, nevertheless, The believing sinner shall not be found among those who draw back unto perdition. While there are seasons in the life of a Christian when faith, hope, and love may seem to be waning or seemingly to decline by way of inward conflicts and outward difficulties, as a result of those inward conflicts and outward difficulties, the beloved child of God may feel as though he had been left to sink beneath the deep. But just as the Lord was there for Peter, when he doubted, so too, beloved, he is there for you. Do you remember what happened when Peter tried to walk on the water? (laughs) Impossible, right? (laughs) Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Indeed, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, the Lord enabling, we shall further distinguish between those who draw back to perdition and those who believe to the saving of the soul. Friend, it is of the utmost importance for you, for me, for all of us to know to which group we belong. Throughout God's word, we ever hear the distinguishing feature made between God's people and the reprobate. God's people are those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people are those who have ears to hear his beloved Son, in whom our Heavenly Father is well pleased. And so make no mistake, you are either everlastingly a sheep or a goat passed by in the covenant of grace. You are either everlastingly a child of God or a child of the devil. And so this is a solemn matter, and one not to be taken lightly. Indeed, while in religion one places great emphasis on having done something in the past that so-and-so believed and was saved in 1975 
1983 or 1988. The real question is, if you are believing right now on the Son of God, what hinders you to confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Nothing. If thou believest with all thine heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When someone starts out in the way of God, we cannot be sure what will become of it. That is, we don't know whether or not that person will continue believing to the end or draw back unto perdition. Now, there are some things through which saving faith may be known. Our Lord very blessedly sums it up by saying that those who enter by him have entered the door to heaven, but those who try by some other way do not. Those who walk in the way of religion merely through custom or merely through being taught of a man will show the carnality of the religion by publicly or in private drawing back unto perdition. However, those who really do believe will keep on in spite of every opposition having been taught of God. Indeed, they are kept by the power of God. What a blessed verse to think upon. First <laughs> Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Beloved, we're kept by the power of God. Both our Lord and his apostle make us to know that our gracious God will not leave us to ourselves to know this saving faith. Our Lord declares, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Beloved, salvation is found in coming to him. The apostle similarly writes, If ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, ye will not walk as those who draw back to the vanity of their mind. My friend, you must be taught of God. For mere carnal persuasion will never stand the day of trial, much less believe to the saving of the soul. To be taught of man and not taught of God, such a person may sometimes continue in religion until they are disrespected or offended, and then, like a dog, they will, will turn to their own vomit again, just like the pig that was washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. And at the last, unto perdition. Beloved, this is not so with those who believe to the saving of the soul. For Christ's sake, afflictions and persecutions give no offense to him. For whether he is honored or despised, the believer will continue to seek the honor that cometh only from God. In fact, trials and tribulations will cause the believer to love his Savior all the more and further to cause him to feel ever increasingly his desperate need of that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that saves to the uttermost. Through all his sufferings, by God's grace in Christ, the believer may say with Paul, None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto me myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And if attracted, tempted by the world, 
the beloved believing sinner, will overcome it. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Beloved, though we may suffer a defeat like Solomon's just man, though we fall seven times, we rise up again in, by, and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now those who profess Christ, just because it happens to be the prevailing religion in the land, a profession that is merely caused by example, by nurture and environment, will not stand, or for that matter endure, a great fight of afflictions. As our Lord has taught us, what is born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the Spirit is spirit. If your faith is of yourself, certain it is that all such professions will draw back to perdition. But not so with the believer. The child of God is born from above, for he hears the voice of his blessed Savior, and he can never put off looking to him. He can never put off hearing him, for he very blessedly tells each one personally and lives continually in each one's heart by faith. And oh, what a blessing it is to hear him say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. (laughs) Away with this car salesman that offers you eternal life. (laughs) Our Lord Jesus Christ is a sovereign, successful Savior, and he saves exactly whom he wants to save, when he wants to save them. I pray he saves someone tonight. Now, these believing Hebrews had withstood a great fight of afflictions, and Paul was persuaded of them that they were among those that believed to the saving of the soul, and not those who draw back unto perdition. Those who who have never been convinced of the great evil of sin and the utter insufficiency of all worldly good, indeed, those who have never been convinced of their guilt and their danger of remaining in their sins, will be in danger of going back, drawing back to the world, drawing back to perdition. Like Demas, should an opportunity of getting wealth rear its tempting head, they will neglect the hearing of the gospel. They will forsake the assembling together of the saints. Now, if you see that happen, and it can happen, what are we to do? Paul tells us, in verse 25, what we're to do in love. From one sinner to another, from one beggar who's found bread to another beggar who needs bread. (laughs) It says here in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I trust the Holy Spirit will speak to each of us how that verse is to be seen in our lives. We're all different, and the Holy Spirit will speak to us as what we have to say. Um, miss you. <laughs> Heard a good message. I needed to hear it. I like what uh, Philip said to uh, Nathaniel. Uh, Come and see. <laughs> he didn't get into any kind of debating or arguments. Just Come and see. Come and see. Beloved, by God's grace, 
we have seen the evil of our sinful heart and the iniquity of every good work. Even though the gospel may subject the believer to worldly losses, to poverty and contempt, they cannot and will not on that account forsake the Lord. A beautiful picture of the believer is seen in Ruth, that like her, God's beloved people must go on and cast in their lot with his saints, come what may. Having known so much of the bitterness of sin, they exclaim, I could not live without my Savior and his great salvation. He saved me from the grave and hell. They are everlastingly loved to say with our brother, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And our uh, Spanish brethren say the same thing. <laughs> Como es posible que yo viva sin Jesús? Si el fundamento de mi vida solo es él. 